0: Just so I get it.
1: You can hit the start button, uh, right, uh, KP, in the controller next to you.
0: Right. Oh, this one here. Yeah. Start or just the power button?
1: Uh, start, I believe. Or maybe it is the power button.
0: Clock. Power. Hey, there hey, hey, we go. All right. Two o'clock on the dot. Wow, look at that. You ready to roll, sir? This is almost like professional. We're going to try to get Chris <laughs> right. out of here on time. <laughs> yeah. You cool with us? At least introduce me on the show. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic, man. <clears throat> you know, speaking
1: of which, I actually just spoke to Mike two days ago. You know, I met him on your show last time. Mike Salona. He used uh, one of our songs. I got him the instrumentals for it for one of his projects
0: he's doing, a skating no video. And I was like,
1: Mike, I haven't fucking talked to you in forever. This is amazing. <laughs> he so was going to come back
0: in. Um, he was supposed to. To come back in in december but uh because he's trying to uh he's got an album he's putting out oh so yeah that's awesome more stand-up stuff but he's uh i want to bring him in here to play around more just because he's a fun guy to hang out with he, he really
1: he that was
0: it was amazing even talking to him afterwards <laughs> he's pretty fun
1: but yeah um we're good to go on this end
0: all <coughs> set fantastic sir lp anything no we're good we're, all right let's kick this hello welcome patreon listeners the founding losers you guys know who you are and we're late i'm very sorry okay holiday weekend i have acid reflux now there's that right so no more spicy food for me we know that much somewhere between you might
2: as well say no more food for you if you say you're taking spice out of your food yeah that's the problem
0: <laughs> did you know that a, a half a bottle of cholulu hot sauce on your turkey is not recommended that'll yeah. land you yeah uh, real quick, um, you guys know where we're at. It's a Shared Universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Maintain take great care of us. And behind the ones and twos today, Kahuna has been replaced. Just, oh, just like Highlander.
1: Sorry, guys. I'm a scab. That's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just filling in.
0: Actually returning from our, uh, uh, the Gentleman Butler, I'm sorry, the Gentleman Bandit of the West, uh, Black Bart, was the first episode that this gentleman was on with us. Uh, Chris... Welcome back to the show, brother. It's my pleasure to be
1: here. I love doing this, and this time I get to experience it with your dad. <laughs> there you go, the full
2: experience. There
0: you go, the full Monty. Exactly. It's, uh... <laughs> Just like riding a bike, your dad's—he's <laughs> there for a little while, and then. <laughs> but. Uh we got to be honest with the listeners here. So, first of all, we're excited. we got merch out now. You guys are getting the merch. First round of Founding Loser merch is coming through. Uh, we have something very special planned for the Founding Losers. Uh, can we announce what that is, Dad? Are you comfortable I, with that? I would say well, let's hold
2: off on that. We we have merch with additional merch on the way specific Ooh, merch on before we before we have it in hand i, I don't, to I don't want to really announce it until we have it in hand okay my merch know,
0: showed up right away your merch is taking a while promises made promises kept <laughs> is a, a kind of a thing you know <laughs> well um so we'll tell you we are going to remember the people that have helped us get here i want to say thank you so much to you guys because you're the reason why the tuesday shows are able to stay free so that means a lot to us now we promised you guys we we're going to do an episode on the war of 1812 which just off the top of your head, Chris, you know anything about it?
1: Uh, I know I learned about it in history class and that it was an exciting two-week uh, adventure, but I don't remember anything about it.
0: Now. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know what? I thought I knew about the War of 1812, and then we sat down to do this, and I was like, yeah, I know all about this stuff. We're going to burn D.C., there's Fort McHenry, all that other stuff. Then we started doing the research, and we're like, holy shit, I'm writing a fucking book at this point. Yeah. Is this
1: the one where they burnt down the White House the first time and they're like we got to move it?
0: That's <laughs> it uh well yes and then that's the part there's so much that goes on beforehand so What we're going to have to do, we have to announce to the listeners now, unfortunately, is it's going to wind up being a two-parter. So I wanted to get the first part out right now. The second part will be out in December. You're cool with that, right, Dad? Absolutely. All right. We'll get this bad boy out and finished for you. But it did not feel right to try to squeeze this entire war and jump over so many huge characters in one tiny, you know, Patreon episode. And you guys are the founding losers, so you're an educated audience to begin with. This isn't, you know, we're not trying to we want to do get new listeners, but don't get me wrong. We get to play to a home crowd here. So you guys deserve the nitty gritty. We're not going to skip over some stuff. I can't have uh, Pat Dowden and, uh, you know, Stu and Nick giving me a hard time. Like, hey, you know, you guys didn't really cover a whole lot of this one guy. (laughs) The audience is smarter than the the people (laughs) recording the show. (laughs) Right, right, right. So um, it's uh, it's like that thing of uh, just playing a a doctor on TV kind of a vibe. Dad. But I'm going to hop right into it if you're ready. I'm I'm good. We're good. I hear you, man. Kick it. it. This one's exciting. In order to try to understand the War of 1812, you kind of have to understand some of the misconceptions about it. Misconceptions I had, also being uh, egregiously taught by American public school systems, Chris. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um,
2: glossed glossed over. I think it's probably the least studied uh, war and— when you start doing some of the background research you kind of realize well maybe we're not quite as proud as we might be (laughs) as to how this whole thing started off
0: yeah it's essentially um there's two parts of the war that's the the way that i think we're going to break it down here because there's uh first of all this is in a way the first world war by the way yeah that's true so you have um there's a lot of players involved a lot of players that get completely glossed over now In order to study this one, we did our research, which we got some cool timelines and stuff. And Captain Printout over here uh, has—he killed a a tree in order to make sure we killed trees today. (laughs) Absolutely. But but yeah, it's uh, in doing the research there, and then also watching documentaries. Now the fun part is imagine watching a documentary telling it from the British point of view.
3: Ooh, yeah.
0: So the American History Channel version is the brave Americans making their stand at Fort McHenry. Right. But what about the couple years leading up to that? There's some Indian massacres, and maybe we burned Toronto to the ground. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, maybe they uh, – well, we'll get into it down the road, but there's there's reasons why the British felt they needed to burn our capital. <laughs> yeah.
0: This is a, essentially – it's a football game where there are no touchdowns scored, just lots of field goals, and then everybody goes, all right, so it's a tie, right? Yeah. We walk away. <laughs> <and> then, right. <laughs> But uh, I'm excited here. So to lay out some zeitgeist for you guys, the United States, uh, it does have its sovereignty, recognized at least on paper. We're post-American revolution here. Uh, France, though, people don't realize this. They think the U.S. starts. And what would you say, Dad, in the history books? People jump from, okay, so American history is the revolution, and then what?
2: Right. Uh, next thing we're really going to dive into is the Civil War. You're like, so, oh, yeah, so the there, southern
3: there's states.
0: A, there's a few years' worth of history there that... Uh, <laughs> gets caught up in between so we're going to try to illuminate you guys in loser style here uh france is still holding some lands in north america but a uh, fellow named napoleon uh is on the march over in france uh, Spain is controlling uh, a lot of the southern states. Then you still have these uh, pesky native tribes, you know, the uh, the people, that, the original yeah. tenants that haven't moved out yet. Right. Hey, we bought this house fair and square from that guy. He never owned the house.
2: <laughs> we, we issued the eviction notice to the uh, original Native Americans, but uh, they're not really uh, they're not following uh, it's the, the, the rules. That's the best part is that uh, <laughs> uh,
0: you know, England went default on the mortgage, and the U.S. <laughs> came in, and they're like, oh, we're just going to a little fixer-upper project here. <laughs>
1: Oh, man, we could spruce this place up a little bit. Let's get blankets. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Worst episode of House Hunters ever. <laughs> but, uh, so the native tribes are having issues with this encroaching United States. And uh, there's this new immigration wave of this one's goofy to try to explain this one to you guys. There are American-born British subjects living in upper and lower Canada that consider themselves Americans.
2: Right. You're born in the America, in America yes. so you're an American, but you just happen to be a Canadian-American. Because Canada
0: doesn't exactly exist right. yet. So. Right.
2: And to add to the confusion, Canada is originally uh, a French territory. and Then the British, uh, during the French and Indian War, prior to the American Revolution, now gains control of what was French Canada, is now British Canada, uh, it, it, there's a there's a whole big intermix here, but you know, the re- American Revolution w- War has been fought and won by the Americans, as we know the U.S. The United States. We're defining our terms here. Right, you right. right, right, right <laughs> it's, it, you can't tell the players without a scorecard here. But, uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what are we? Are we are we state and
1: country, or we need probably need to put a name on this, right?
0: I heard a cool way of breaking it down um, in one of the docs we watched for this. Actually, is that it's a, a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of states loosely joined together, holding hands. Divided by vast forest and encroached, you know, it's surrounded by Native Americans. So, it's a uh, it's a very interesting time, which is amusing to me because it doesn't get covered that much. But keep going up here. I didn't mean to interrupt. No,
2: you. no, that's all. Right. Anyway, so, the American Revolutionary, the American Revolution War is uh, fought and won. The British uh, now give control of what was British colonies to the Americans, the United States. Um, But there's certain territories that are really uh, left floundering, um, specifically the Ohio Valley area, which is a whole lot more than just Ohio. I mean, it's a far-reaching all the way up into Canada. And the British aren't real quick to retreat from or pull back from that particular area. They're still large and in charge, and it's predominantly uh, being held by Native American tribes and the British still continue to support those Native American tribes, and they're going against the, what were British colonists, are now American uh, states that they're pushing westward, so. Um, it's like know, when they
0: recast a, a movie character with a, a new actor sometimes. Get right, right, some right, 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 right. The names have
2: been changed, but it's still, still the same thing. The, uh, the European settlers are now encroaching upon Native American lands.
0: Well, who's going to be uh, – now, the interesting thing with the Native Americans, too, is that the British are over there. And for the regular listeners of the show, you guys will recall that uh, we recently uncovered something called uh, the Battle of Wabash, also known as St. Clair's Defeat. It is the worst American military defeat in history, I believe. And it's because, it's done by the Native Americans, right. and it's be, as we encroached up into the territory. And guess who was supplying them and kind of helping them with – the british the British, Uh, right that's a prelude to this war exactly and this agitation's been going on for about 30 years here at this point this prank war is just terrible right it's It's, um you're not wrong you're not because there is there's some goofy shit that goes on in this war. dad i think you and me had to reread a couple things because we're like that can't be right there's no (laughs) right we went where yeah (laughs) right so um now it's very interesting here because again you have a war you have tension going on in the new world and then you also have uh i mean there's tension going on in france you have a a french revolution that's been ending uh you know in something called a reign of terror so i'm not going to say it went well
2: yeah uh over in france things are a mishmash but then there's a a little guy by the name of napoleon that starts to uh come into power and and starts to be a heavy influence on uh, european history as well as world history, because uh, once again, uh, France and England are uh, picking fights with one another, that, uh, you know, Napoleon is going for, uh, you know, world domination, that uh, he's capturing vast amounts of territory throughout not only France, making himself emperor of France, but he's also taken over large swaths of territory
0: within Europe itself. Well, uh, now in 1793, France is going to declare war on England. That sets off what's known as the Napoleonic Wars here. So America is going to see this as an opportunity where they start thinking like, oh, you know, Britain seems a little distracted over here, and we're nervous about our territory because now we got the British are still influencing us up here. We're a little bit nervous about the Spanish down south. That's like the whole St. Augustine history. Obviously the Native Americans are here. And they start getting some ideas in their head. they wanted making a little purchase, Dad, a little little land purchase, just some speculation. Yeah, yeah, just a touch, just a touch. Now, real, real, talk to me about that. Well, there
2: was a, a little purchase made. I mean, uh, our president at the time is Thomas Jefferson, and he's all about expansion. Um, and again, we're pretty much tied to the uh, eastern seaboard, um, but um, the Americans, the new United States, are now looking to expand. <laughs>
0: Oh, Dad. I'm sorry. We were so professional when oh, we started. Well, I, Who is well, it, Jeff Garlick? No, no, no. It's, <laughs> we'll have to call him back. Um, I'm sorry about that, Patreon listeners. Uh, my bad for not turning the No, turning it's the, the kahuna. He goes, what the fuck you mean I'm replaced? <laughs> 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 That's right.
2: <laughs> um, but anyhow, the, the American colonies, which are now the American states, Are really tied to the eastern seaboard, but they're looking to push westward. And Thomas Jefferson is all about um, that expansion westward.
1: That manifest destiny. Yeah, manifest
2: destiny is really, really starting to come into play big time. That uh, we're destined to control all of this shit. This is not just not just these Appalachians. They look real good over there. (laughs) Right. Right. And more importantly, beyond the Appalachian Mountains are, is the Mississippi River. And if you can control the Mississippi, because all goods and services are transported via the water. So to control the Mississippi and New Orleans, which is at you know, the mouth of the Mississippi, um, that's, that's huge. So uh, Napoleon, through secret dealings with Spain, takes, or, takes control of what was Spanish territory. And uh, now it's French territory, and but he's he's looking to to fight all of Europe and more specifically England. So he's a little hard pressed for some for some finances. So he offers up a, a sale, and Thomas Jefferson, with his Secretary of State James Madison, another um, name that comes <laughs> another, <in the> <laughs> another name that comes into play, um, who was going to follow uh, Jefferson in the uh, presidential office. They make a little deal with uh, with France to the tune of uh, 800,000, yeah, 800,000, over 800,000 square miles of Western Frontier.
0: That is a studio apartment in Rumson, New Jersey. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's square miles of uh, Western Frontier that uh, they are now obtained. And it was interesting, I found in the research that uh, the way that whole Louisiana purchase read is that um it's the preemptive, quote-unquote, the preemptive right <laughs> to obtain Indian lands either by treaty or by conquest. Oh. So we're buying property from France that really doesn't belong to France. It really belongs to the Native Americans. But now France is selling us the right to either come to treaties with the Indians or –
0: Conqu- you know, by conquest of the Indians, but so anyhow, you got long a, a in the long in crack short... house in a, a neighborhood you're trying to redevelop, <laughs> right, right? And right. The, the guy be like, "Listen, I'll let you do this, okay? I won't interfere. It's the neighborhood crime boss is telling you I won't interfere, but you either got to get the crackheads to sell to you, or you got to go in and clear them out. Right? And I'm very sorry that I realized just now that I'm making the Native Americans crackheads. <laughs> very <laughs> yeah. insensitive. Yeah, that's not a real good an- analogy,
2: but. Uh, I think better. A, a better analogy is you're buying property sight unseen because that's a vast wilderness that virtually no white, uh, uh, white man has even laid eyes on. So it's, it's definitely sight unseen. That leads to Lewis and Clark and everything else. But anyhow – we have now doubled our size. The United States is now twice the size of what it was before, with the purchase of the Louisiana Purchase. So, um, yeah, we're we're definitely expanding uh, our borders. That we've we've we've
0: got some land.
3: We've got to a little junk a trunk. It. Right, a, right? Right?
0: <laughs> absolutely. And we're friendlier with France. We're not we're not super cozy with them, but we're friendlier with France than we are with England at this time. Uh, now, the two of them are at war. And both of them are attempting to block Americans from trading with one another in what was known as the Orders of Council, right? Now Which would mean, this is, the British are so good at this. The British, mm-hmm. they have big government figured out to a T. It's how we are, uh, maybe that's why we're New Jersey and there's the Jersey Islands. <laughs> right, here, right. Because we have big government figured out too, man. Uh, the British would essentially require that America and other neutral countries get a British-approved license in order to trade with France. Right. Yeah, so that's... It's like, uh, you know, it's like Goodfellas. Fuck you, pay me. Yeah, It's right, kind of right. the thing here. I get the Vig. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't think an 1812 show would have the word Vig mentioned. In. <laughs> <laughs> but here
2: we are doing yeah, this only weekend. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, fr- France and, and England are at war with one another. And in order for the United States, who has been declared neutral in this whole fight – England says, "Well, if you want to trade goods with France, you're going to have to pay us first. Mm-hmm. And then France does the same thing. That if you want to trade goods with England, you're going to have to pay us first. So both country, both warring countries are at, at one another's, and they're preventing anybody else from trading with them without going through them first. So everybody's looking uh, for the for the with the handout to uh, in order to trade, and you know that's. Uh, that's the lifeblood of, of the United States is is to set up trade with other uh, people. Well, they're still trying, people, The so.
0: reason that they're selling land, we covered this in St. Clair's defeat. The reason that they're selling land in other places, uh, you know, outside the original colonies, is in order to attempt to pay off debt that we incurred from sure. fighting the war in the first place. Right. So that comes back to a whole Hamilton thing, and everything. I mean, it gets pretty wild in there. But if you combine the political maneuvering with the American desire to expand, the British troublemaking with the natives. And the British, this is a key part here, too. If you talk to the Americans, this is why the war happened. The British Navy would uh, suppress into slavery captured American sailors um, and make them essentially fight for England because they needed to bolster the number of their Navy for the coming war with Napoleon. So, but there was a weird gimmick to that, too, you said, right, Dad? Where yeah,
2: there was a lot of British um, sailors. I mean, they're British citizens, who are uh, working either with the British Merchant Marine or the actual British Navy, the fighting Navy. And, hey, if I become an American, I'm going to get better paid and better conditions than what I'm presently serving under. So a lot of these guys literally jump ship. That They not only jump ship, but they they jump citizenship. But at the time, to renounce your citizenship from one nation and then adopt a new nation— was not recognized by Britain, anyhow. So they were saying, "Well, wait a minute. You were British. Uh, you're serving on an American ship. Guess what? You're now back in in the British Navy again." So they're uh, impressing these guys to. It's forced labor. It's slave labor. That, and once you're aboard one of these ships, you could be out for you know six months, eight, nine months at a time. Don't I no- know it?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you're not going to see land again. To uh, And, you know, there was all kinds of uh, cries that, uh, you know, we we have to address this situation, this is unfair and everything else. But, you know, to communicate back and forth from one side of the ocean to the other took literally months. So these guys could be serving their time while they're waiting for the the paperwork to catch up to them. So the British made it very, very difficult to address that uh, grievous situation. They're pesky.
0: It's all that political maneuvering here. Now, eventually, there's a couple, you know, it takes a couple of fiery words from a normally pretty calm guy in Thomas Jefferson, and pretty soon the uh, the boys of the United States yeah. are going to be off to invade Canada. This is not a South Park movie. This is the War of eighteen twelve. Right, mm-hmm. those Duke boys are at it again.
2: <laughs> there were, uh, you know, again the, the the um the sailors being um, forced labor into the British Navy was one of the big grievances. And then as far as the trade practices and stuff, that was huge as well. So, uh, you know, who are you, who are you guys to tell us who we can trade with and who we can't trade with and why do I have to pay you in order to
0: trade with him and, you know, that, that type a, of A lot thing. of it was bad blood that still boiled. We didn't have the special relationship. Right.
2: Yeah, it wasn't a real uh, lovey-dovey situation. Right. After all, the British just left that um, that territory, if you will, uh, because of the war for of uh, the American Revolution.
0: So now the early part of this war is going to take place in uh, – there's upper and lower Canada, which gets goofy because then it involves parts of Michigan and stuff. Like the states are getting their shapes here a little bit too, which is kind of cool.
2: Yeah, but you just said too that it was Jefferson who declared war. It wasn't really no, Jefferson. No, he made a statement saying oh, okay, that, uh, yeah." yeah. all it would take would be a march up north and Canada would be ours. Right, it would just be a matter of marching in order for us to take – to take Canada take additional territory so TJ Thomas Jefferson he's already purchased <laughs> the Louisiana <laughs> Purchase so he's just doubled the size of the country but he's still looking north at hey, you know there's some there's some pretty good stuff up there too and uh, uh, at that time I th- think uh, the nation the United States is like seven and a half million and Canada is just a, a very small percentage of that so the amount of people in Canada versus the amount of people in the United States, um, they vastly outnumbered him. So
0: TJ is thinking, "Hey, all we got to do is march up there and take it over for us." You know, and there was a lot of uh, blustering going on there too. There was a lot of bravado, and then uh, some real backfires here, as we're going to cover. Uh, I think the easiest way for me to try to understand this one, and I think you agree too, because again, we watch the same documentaries and <laughs> read most of the same sources. Right. But uh, one major character to introduce from the British side is this guy, pretty cool dude. I became a fan of his, uh, having read more about him, but uh, Sir Isaac Brock, a very well-respected and highly intelligent military man, in 1811, that's the craziest part, is that uh, the War of 1812 starts well before 1812, in theory, Um, he's appointed as the administrator to Upper Canada. This happens in October. Less than a month after receiving the appointment, the infamous Battle of Tippecanoe will take place, Okay. Now, that battle's fascinating because it features future American president and current governor of Indiana. Uh, Well, at the time, he's the current governor. He's not the governor here in 2020. Let me rephrase that. Yeah. Um, But uh, William Henry Harrison. Okay. Uh, So the future hero of Tippecanoe is nervous about a native encampment at a place called Prophetstown, which is uh, the home of some of the most powerful Shawnee warriors. And it's starting to turn into a little bit of a recruiting area. Uh, because they're all falling underneath the leadership of this one guy happens to be named Tecumseh. Yep. So Chris already knows to, <laughs> Tecumseh, it, about as badass and regal of a uh, Native American warriors you can find. He's definitely the first major character of the Native Americans over here. Now, he's wild because his life, first of all, it, this sounds like a movie too. I'm almost getting goosebumps talking about him. Um, Tecumseh was born the son of a chief, in the western Ohio Ohio Valley, in the Shawnee tribe. Uh, On the occasion of his birth, a comet came through the sky, and the name Tecumseh is fitting as it means shooting star. Literally, that's what, yeah. Yeah. So he was, his name was Shooting Star, which, uh, the coolest My Little Pony, by far. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, Tecumseh's father was killed fighting with the Europeans. Uh, Tecumseh came to see the encroaching white settlers as the biggest threat to his people. He was considered a very wise and gallant man, he was well-spoken and dignified, yet also really skilled in combat. And his reputation among the Natives was strong enough that he was, in effect, becoming a spokesman for them. And, in fact, uh, he was battle-tested, too. Uh, he actually led, um, he fought at uh, St. Clair's defeat. He led a scouting party for Blue Jacket. So he's already been a part of a major Native American victory here, which is awesome for them. Uh, and then, in addition to that, he would also lead um, uh, troops into battle at the defeat uh of uh it was fallen timbers was the the subsequent battle that then matt anthony wayne from the american revolution who my hometown is named after right right um he had to come up there and and settle things and they defeated tecumseh and he licked his wounds a little bit he was a young pup at this time he wasn't he wasn't the gallant warrior yet but he's building this reputation that he's a fighter all right and he's smart
2: right and early on he comes to the realization that if these native tribes continue to fight amongst themselves that there's no way they're going to be able to defeat the encroachment of the white settlers and he sees that um, as a young man that you know the the uh, success that Blue Jacket and some of the other uh, Native American leaders had with that uh, was because they were able to pull some small confederations together to fight the the encroachment and he takes that to the extreme next level where he starts almost uh as a diplomat uh emissary to these various tribes trying to convince these guys hey we got to stop fighting ourselves and start fighting the common thread or the common threat of uh of these white uh, settlers coming it's in like and if you got, uh,
0: yeah, so he's the jets, and he gets uh, the bills and the dolphins on board and says, we got to gang up <laughs> against New England the only one that's right? pretty much it, but uh, Tecumseh New you know it's like we're gonna have to get this unified front, like you're saying, Dad. they actually wind up forming the the you know it, what's known as Tecumseh's Confederacy that comes in later, but that that's literally the idea of an Indian nation state uh, and there's a lot of things that they wind up promising too that's where. You know Tecumseh's not really. He doesn't hate the British like he hates the Americans.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it was the Americans that killed his father too. Yeah. So. And um, you, you said Europeans, but it was really American settlers. Was that,
0: a, I, I was trying to give the uh, the full um, encompass of everything. Right. They might have been split.
2: they might have been British uh, colonists at that particular time, but they were definitely the
0: European invaders. Also true. Good catch. Then um, I'll say this then too. Uh, he's not. Warm and cozy with the British, and he even told the British he was like, "Listen, if you guys want to work with us, that's great. But you got to actually show you got to be happy to do it. We need a little something back from you on this one because we've been getting dicked around in these trade deals for a little bit too long. And that's where it's going to be kind of cool now because we're going to join a couple of these characters up. So, uh, however, the original treaties and encroachment had technically started under the British rule. Okay, but now you have uh, you have to have England to give birth to America, if you will, to now encroach on these native lands." to then piss Tecumseh off enough that he's going to go with the British. It's right. very, it's a complex Marvel universe right. that we're creating here.
2: I hate the British, but I hate the Americans more. Exactly. Is, is really what it is. The and enemy I,
0: of my enemy is my friend. Ooh, yeah. look at Chris doing some work over there. There <laughs> you go.
2: There you go. That guy's got some book learning, I think, this guy, he,
0: Chris. And you know what it was? Uh, <laughs> it, it's, he was funny on the other episode, too, because he was running two episodes at once, so we would pop back in and out and then still have quips. And I was like, Jesus, is he doing this on the other show, too? Uh,
1: <laughs> the answer is yes.
0: That's, <laughs> well, in a way, um, like I said, very similar to uh, how that's going on, that the natives are starting to feel out a relationship with uh, the British here. And uh, Sir Isaac Brock knew that as well. And during the course of his meetings with Tecumseh, he had uh, his writings, which can still be read today. He was a, The guy was like a scholar warrior, it was nuts. He was a little, yeah. uh, I mean, he was an ardent writer. I'd almost call him like, a, imagine if uh, uh, Patton was keeping like, uh, like poetry journals or something. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Very
2: well-spoken, um, yeah, he, he was impre- an impressive, uh, impressive guy, Tecumseh, no doubt. Uh, to impress the, the British um, military leaders Brock being the head of, uh, what was it, Upper Upper Canada. Um, yeah, so he's so. installed
0: up there, and he starts winding up having meetings and whatnot with Tecumseh. So he's writing very fondly of the Shawnee chiefs. Uh, Shawnee chiefs, man, that's tough to say for some yeah. reason. But it's uh, saying that the guy has impeccable manners, high IQ, very well-spoken, and um, he's also a tall guy, which um, for some reason carries gravitas. Uh, we'll point that out, too, because the president of the United States around this time frame James Madison. I found this out last night. Four foot one.
2: Yeah, he was he was what? just a tad over five foot, but yeah, he was he was uh, the Pesci of uh, of our American five president.
0: I think he was quite short. They said he was yeah. not an impressive uh, in, in height guy, but he was a brilliant mind. They would say. So it is amusing to me that he's running America at this time, and then Napoleon, who was also Napoleon. They say wasn't actually as short. Uh, as he was made out to be, they used to make that out to, for him being short because it was an insult. Yeah. So, but I do get the idea. It would be amusing to have, uh, if it's all Peter Dinklage's for Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Him playing multiple roles. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's your casting couch. uh oh, man, Kahuna, you really are fired. <laughs> but, um, now, it's very important here to notice, too, that... Uh, if anything threatened to not make Tecumseh an uneasy but effective ally for the British, the events at the aforementioned Prophetstown is going to pretty much ensure that Tecumseh's wrath will be realized.
2: Yeah, now Prophetstown was Tecumseh's hometown, if you will. It was a uh, Indian uh, um, town that was set up by his brother, um, Tecumseh's brother, and it was a large large, uh, gathering, if you will, of, of Native Americans. And meanwhile, Tecumseh is going up and down the uh, eastern seaboard, for crying out loud, trying to rally the troops, rally the Indian uh, tribes together to unify the, to them, uh, unify them against the again the common enemy. Um, but enter uh, your, our next our next
0: character. There's quite a few characters in this story, but um, with an army of about eleven thousand or so men, again, future president and at the time governor of Indiana, William Henry Harrison will march on to Prophetstown. Uh, Tecumseh's away gathering more recruits. Like you said, Dad, they're trying to form this pan-Indian confederation. The first time they're all going to be really looking to push this back. Now, in an earlier time, it had worked with St. Clair's defeat, so why not repeat that?
2: Yeah, on and, a smaller scale, but now oh yeah. with this pan-Indian confederation, it's much larger. It's almost like a United Nations of the Indian nations, if you will, that they're Shows all coming the together. the sophistication to, of the tribes, yeah, too. This exactly. is not bloody savages. Absolutely.
0: Um, so he's away, and uh, unfortunately, as uh, William Henry Harrison marches on Prophetstown, uh, Tecumseh's brother, who Tecumseh told not to fight right away, um, Tecumseh's brother did not listen to him, and he leads 600 native warriors against the Americans. Now, this is where we have to get technical, because they would say battles are won and lost, right? And there's no such thing as a moral victory, right? But what about a tactical victory? Because <laughs> yeah. This one is listed for the Americans as a tactical victory, but it's pretty much, it's like, uh, I know I, I don't want to give a timestamp reference, but it's like uh, the Steelers are undefeated right now, but they just beat the third string Baltimore Ravens barely, and they're flexing like Super Bowl here we come. Yeah, so um, they're able to t- uh, win the day essentially, um, but it's not without heavy costs here because uh, the Native War Party is actually going to catch the Native, uh, the Native War Party, I should say, is going to catch the Americans off guard. They ambush them early in the morning, and they're inflicting heavy damage. Now, remember, the numbers are about 600 Native warriors under Tecumseh's brother versus about an army of 11,000 or so men under William Henry Harrison. And Harrison calls, he, I mean, he was blown away by it. His own uh, uh, journal he referred to the, the scene as horrid, that the Americans were getting the shit kicked out of them. It was not good. The Native Americans are fighting. It's a ferocious home front fight, too, so you're getting that extra... Uh, they have the
1: advantage, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. They know the lay of the land. Uh, they know what you're here to do, so it's let's get you now before... You, and it's pretty, uh, it's pretty ugly. Now, the only thing that winds up working is that uh, the Americans are able to then kind of lick their wounds for a day or so, and they eventually force the retreat. Uh, and then in the retreat, the Native Americans actually abandon Prophetstown, so then uh, William Henry Harrison gets to play the conquering hero who marches right. in and takes Prophetstown and then burns it to the ground, but the Native Americans already left it. So. Right.
2: there was nobody there, but he burnt it
0: he burnt that uh, that village to the ground. So it was so real now he's, cold that night. Yeah. We just like,
1: guys, we need to warm up.
0: Well it now you burn a, Tecumseh's hometown down Right. Tecumseh's out of town. And Tecumseh and William Henry Harrison, they knew each other too. They had spoken a bunch prior to this that there was negotiations and he was you know, they were very well aware of one another and uh, now Tecumseh's brother also falls at town is that correct, Ed? Uh, that I'm not sure of, okay, I, I, I think I read that, but I don't want to be, correct me on that one. Stu Greenberg, you have homework, sir. Um, <laughs> may right. I interject for a second?
1: When you say, so Tecumseh's out there gathering frequent gallop miles, and then he comes back <laughs> to his brother's town where he had grown up, and it's, it's absolutely scorched to the ground, you know, all it is is ashes and bodies, probably, at that point. Uh, That's destiny for revenge, regardless, uh, you know? Essentially. That is like the movie, like, this has got. Uh, person was born to be this
0: warrior. Right. It's uh, Braveheart. It's Jesse James. That's the real story of Jesse James too. We covered that one. I mean, it's right. you want to piss somebody off, that's a good way to do it. <laughs>
2: right. There you go. Kill yeah. your father and now uh, your brother's burn missing. your home. Your burn. hometown's missing too. <laughs> right. Burn your hometown to and the ground.
0: Already some agitations here. So yeah. what's going to get a, um, what started off as maybe a casual flirtation has turned on to, into a full nine and a half weeks love affair between the British and Tecumseh now. Um, they're getting pretty excited about the ideas of maybe being able to work together here. So, um, again, the prophet's town is burned. Uh, Tippecanoe had been won. We're using air quotes, guys. Won the Battle of Tippecanoe. And um, uh, Tecumseh, again, though not at the battle, is definitely set back. And now William Henry Harrison's actually a war hero. Weird side note. When they do finally get him to run for the presidency, they refer to him as the hero of Tippecanoe, and, and that was the, the the rallying cry was Tippecanoe and Tyler too. Yeah, but
2: Tyler was going to yeah. be his vice president. So. so, and they trotted
0: out an old war hero because that was the only way they thought they could win the presidency back. And again, when you look at it, not really much of a victory. If you're like, yeah, we, we weathered the storm. Right, <laughs> that's all it was. <laughs> they lost uh, heavy heavy numbers on that one too. I believe I tried to write them down here, but uh, now here's the craziest part. Uh, again. Tippit canoes won. William Henry Harrison's a hero. Tecumseh is trying to figure out what he's going to do. Oh yeah, still not even 1812 yet. Yeah, we're
2: we're <laughs> we're, we're now up to 1811, which is uh, the big uh, misnaming of of this war is the War of 1812. That people think, well, it's only oh, it was only a one year thing, right? Well, no, not really. And uh, it was started in 1812, but it it took nearly three years for for this one to be to be gone. Meanwhile, the British are also courting Tecumseh. Um, big time, and making all kinds of promises, Brock, especially, that he is negotiating and courting and uh, you know, schmoozing Tecumseh, because the British realize that if we can uh, rally these Native Americans against the american uh, the the u s. colonists, uh, so much the better for us. And he makes promises to Tecumseh that we're going to create this little territory that's going to be just for the Native Americans, for this pan-Indian confederation that he's trying to put together. And you think about it, that just makes all kinds of sense, because now you're putting a vast swath of territory in between British Canada and the United States. So why not have a nice little buffer zone there? Exactly.
0: And by the way, that was one of the early things that the British were promising, too, because, uh, again... Although not involved directly with St. Clair's defeat, they were funding and providing intelligence and making sure that the uh, the, native, you know, the natives were supplied, if you will. Um, but here's what's interesting. So we get this idea when uh, I hear this all the time when we're like, "Oh, I, just, I can't remember you know when uh, uh, the country was this divided. It's always been divided. It really has. The more I read, the more I learn about how much it's been divided. This war is not popular for anybody, it seems. Um, you have the Warhawk Americans. Who were against the anti-war Americans, and many of those anti-war Americans happen to be the business owners in New England that were relying heavily on trading with the British Canadians. Right, it's not a difficult drive to go from Boston to Toronto. It really isn't. Right, so you, in theory, you these trading routes were going to be very, uh, um, you know, amenable for that.
2: And America at this time is really the seaports. I mean, that's the the hub that. Uh if you're controlling the seaports, if you're controlling the seas, you're controlling trade, and if you're controlling trade, you're making money. So uh, you got
1: an empire. Baby. Yeah, that's <laughs> whoever
2: whoever wants to buy, uh, I'm willing to sell. So whether it's uh, Canadians, uh, whether it's French Canadians, British Canadians, uh, British themselves. Uh, down in the caribbean we got beaver furs all over the place everyone's
1: got beaver fur we got
2: timber
0: uh, we got fur and fur was uh, a huge a a huge commodity market for sure oh yeah it's uh i mean that was the gift that before diamonds that was the gift you got when you were trying to get laid (laughs) (laughs) like down on my uh my fur blanket that's (laughs) a (laughs) A little burt reynolds action yeah but that is a term worth diving into a little bit. Again, like you said, Dad, British Canadians were born in America, referring to themselves as Americans. Are we really going to go to war with these people we have so much in common with and that we're doing business with? This Do we have to?
2: So, Yeah, and, and the, the thought was, too, that if we do go up into Canada, there's a vast number of French Canadians who hate the British to begin with. that, um, And there's a whole religious aspect that the British are forcing – um, you know, the Church of England on top, on top of these French Canadians who are pre- predominantly Roman Catholic. Um, so there's there's many bit different aspects to this whole thing. So a common misconception of the Americans was if we go up to up to Canada, it could be that a large population of the, of the French-speaking Canadians are going to just join up with us to overthrow the British or the so English-speaking the Canadians. Yeah. yeah,
0: so craziness. So you got a little uh, Sunni Shiite stuff going on over there with the, uh, the Christian religion. You got the tensions going. Again, war is uh, pretty much outbroke in Europe right now. And uh, now war is going to be officially declared. This was a great fact you found, Dad. You actually found the time difference between this. Uh, the Americans declare war and it's President Jimmy Madison, right? Uh, he doesn't want to do it at first, but he realizes it's just too good of an idea, right? Jefferson's kind of stoking the fires of this thing. And Madison is, again, a hyper-intellectual dude. And they officially declare war on June 18th, 1812. And uh, when did the British declare war on us back, Dad?
2: Uh, January 9th, 1813. So (laughs) seven months later, the British finally got... Because the British were so involved with fighting Napoleon at this time that the Americans were... Just uh, like a second, a second thought kind of a thing, that uh, we'll be able to handle that. We're we're too much involved with uh, Napoleon right now America to really get involved no with
0: that. No esteem on the global scene yet. Right, and that this.
2: that was that was a big part of why uh, Madison was really um, requesting from Congress to declare war on Britain because these guys are are our, our, uh, taking our, our sailors and, and putting all these trade limitations on us and stuff. To, we're not getting the respect that we really deserve. Not that we really earned it at this point, but, uh, you know, and Madison was really the first guy to go to Congress to ask for a declaration of war. So he's credited with that one, That uh, although he might be a little yeah. – diminutive in size and stature uh he was thinking big he was thinking big no doubt
1: No, oh, yeah that's those are big thoughts especially it, everything grow. coming on yeah it,
2: it, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it gets uh it gets nuts fast too man it really does what's the uh the first thing that we're going to do here is uh uh, we we have to invade Canada now, right? Obviously, this oh, is going to yeah. be a very. This is an afternoon. This is supposed to happen in. in yeah, so it's just one a matter media, of yeah. <laughs> just oh, a matter of lunch? marching. All we got to do is march up there, and
2: and, and Canada is going to be ours. And uh, what's the best way of getting back at England, or Great Britain, is to invade one of their territories, which happens to be Canada. I mean, it's it's close by. We don't even have to go very far. We just have to march up there and take it over
0: now back when uh tommy jefferson was uh in the white house he had appointed a governor uh in michigan which enters now another one of the first major american characters in the story the infamous william hull of michigan this was the guy when we read it and then we watched it and then we read it again and then we watched a different take and we're like oh shit this really was this bad okay <laughs> yeah he was a, a bit of a revolutionary war hero and had been appointed by Jefferson as the governor of Michigan. His policies and treaty negotiations had not endeared him to the native tribes in his area, especially Tecumseh and the Shawnee. So now Hull, uh, at age 60, has no interest in leading a major military expedition and declines the appointment from the now president, James Madison. Unfortunately, the replacement uh, becomes seriously ill, and President Madison made sense. You know, you go to listen, dude, you're going to turn the president down twice? And Hull's just like, okay, I'm, I'm going, I'm going. Yeah, Hull leads a, an optimistic invasion into Canada. How hard could it be? The United States had some heavy weaponry. They had a deep budget uh, for the military at this time. They weren't fighting two different wars like England was. That's a huge advantage here. And they had a, a couple of bona fide American Revolutionary War heroes, as well as a couple of promising up-and-comers. Um, England didn't think so. They had no, if, the accounts of the troops on the ground was that uh, they thought so lowly of the American troops. The only advantage the Americans had is that every American back then was an excellent marksman because you had to learn how to shoot to survive. So yeah. that was the thing. When you're dealing with the American soldiers, they're not organized. It's not a pretty fight, but those boys know how to shoot. And oddly enough, that plays into the story. Yeah, it too. does
2: play into the story, but uh, the, the vast majority of the American troops, quote-unquote, troops, are militia. So you know, varying degrees of uh, military mindedness in within those militias. It's you know, it could be just a bunch of guys getting together, or you know, they're in the same neighborhood, kind of a thing. So we're gonna we're gonna form this militia. We're gonna kick back and a few brews, right? Right, right. It's right, right. a couple of softball teams right, coming right. up there to beat um, you up. You know, we're not too far from the uh, from the whiskey rebellion either. So that uh, you know, uh, it's Good the callback. same it's the same uh, same type of a thing here that. Um, and they're really not beholden to anybody um, as far as their leadership is concerned. The leadership in the army right now is pretty much political appointees or really old guys like Hull who might have fought in the re- American Revolution but are <laughs> well past their
0: prime. There's a couple of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, Man, does this invasion go poorly. Uh, turns out that the marching was absolutely brutal. Hull began to lose his spirit and was experiencing heavy doubts about his abilities, and they really the the legend of Tecumseh is actually getting them scared. They're starting to, to out, they're trying to play chess, uh, you know, on multiple battlefields here, if you will, and they're freaking out because they can't see the other. Op- it's almost turning into Battleship, where how much guy, how many guys does Tecumseh really have? Did you hear about Tecumseh? I heard he split eight guys in half the other day. Right. It's getting a little bit nervous here, um, and also uh, this clever and heroic guy named Sir Isaac Brock is now up in Upper Canada and he sealed his alliance formally with Tecumseh and his men again as Chris said something about burning down your brother's village makes people angry and remember right
2: right that that, that does stick in the in the memory you know you might forgive but you're not going to forget well there's no forgiveness and there's no forgetting now
0: this is crazy compared to the original way that the march started when they entered Canada because on July 12th 1812 Hull, who, again, was he was a victim of poor planning by the government as well. He wasn't completely his fault. But he's starting to realize the operation may not go as smoothly as some of the proclamations he would uh, delivered earlier. Imagine, um, you know, giving a I guarantee victory kind of a thing. I believe one of the quotes was, to the people of Canada who we offer to liberate unless they prefer slavery and tyranny. So it's, you know, we're here, we're here, guys. We're your we're your conquering heroes. We're going to free right. you from them. Yeah, we can make this easy, or we can make this hard. Yeah, and and Hull <laughs> didn't even
1: present. It's a little bit of freedom. You <laughs> <laughs> might like it. Yeah,
0: and Hull didn't. Um, he really. It's up for debate as to whether or not he even believed his own words at that time. But uh, his first attempt into Canada was to take uh, Sandwich. Yep, now modern day Windsor, Ontario area, by the way, and that attack is uh, repelled brilliantly. ...by Sir Isaac Brock and his men. Hull would then retreat back to Fort Detroit. Okay? So Fort Detroit, you know, Detroit Detroit, a French area originally. We've covered this. Right. um, Where Hull would seal his name back at Fort Detroit in military infamy forever... ...with clever tactics, including Hull's own miscommunications over the numbers of Shawnee... ...in the invasion that had started in July. By the way, what Tecumseh did, this was brilliant in order to outsmart them... ...and make them think that he had three times as many men... He would march his men out three separate times so that when they were – and then Hull's sitting like, holy shit, how many of these guys are there? And
2: they're all around us, and they're hooping and hollering, making a lot, a lot of noise to kind of fool the the Americans into thinking there's a whole lot more guys here than there are. Yeah,
0: essentially green screening, like all of a sudden the army of 300 is coming down with the Persians and whatnot. (laughs) That's pretty much what he's got cooking for him here. Right. And Brock's not about to make any corrections. Oh, by the way, guys, I want you to know it's only a couple – it's only a handful of – Yeah,
2: he's not going to – He's not going to let on that, uh, what our numbers actually are, because so, uh, they were totally outnumbered.
0: Yes, that's the, the Canadians part.
2: and The and uh, Tecumseh and the Native Americans were totally outnumbered as far as number of American troops versus
0: the Canadian wow. side. The Americans had a firm advantage in the fort, but Hull panicked, all right, and started writing letters back and saying, ah, I need more supplies, I need this, you don't understand what we're up against, and— uh, the invasion of Canada that had started in July, now barely a month old, Hull surrenders Fort Detroit in fear without the force of Brock or Tecumseh firing a single shot. Right. Not a shot was fired, but he surrenders the whole to, thing. To a, a group that winds up being maybe like maybe half the numbers he had, maybe a third. I can't remember what the numbers were on that one, but it's definitely. You're surrendering, and then you see right. him in the woods, like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> really? <laughs> really?
2: Is that all you guys really had?
0: That's, oh, <laughs> man.
2: Someone's got to go back and get those letters. Exactly. <laughs> Can we call a do over? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you get nervous because you think it's, uh, you see a big guy in a trench coat coming towards you, and you're like, oh, God, that guy's going to beat the crap out of us. Then you realize it's uh, Ming on Zapsic's shoulders. <laughs> 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 but, so again, now they've. This guy, you want to talk about a, a brilliant guy here? He's already beaten uh, back a, a, an American invasion, Sir Isaac Brock. Uh, he's got Tecumseh on his side now. They just took Fort Detroit and completely embarrassed the American military without firing a single shot. Yeah. Okay.
1: Call that a shutout.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's. Oh, he pitched a perfect game, dude. Um, and again, the two of those guys are the, the most important leaders for um, the, the British and Indian Confederacy side of things at the time here. Hull, by the way, just a quick night, a uh, little note I wanted to mention. He gets sent back to Washington, where he is court-martialed, found guilty of cowardice, and sentenced to death. Okay? The sentence was commuted by President Madison, the same man whose offer Who appointed him in the first <laughs> place. <yeah>. He <laughs> goes, all right, listen, I, right, maybe I made like, a mistake here. Our,
2: our guy, uh, my guy wasn't
0: so, so good, but uh, <laughs> we're not going to kill him. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, feel, I feel like that's what the giant's ownership was saying to Ben McAdoo. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the British and the natives were feeling pretty good brock and tecumseh were operating well in their partnership money and supplies were given to the shawnee and promises like you said dad were made to tecumseh of this proposed free indian state what a cool fucking concept that's going to be mm-hmm. should england win the war that's the key and as far as they know um tecumseh and and brock actually they were fans of each other tecumseh opposed, supposedly upon meeting brock goes now this is a man this is someone i can talk to this is a guy i can deal with and uh in response, Brock referred to Tecumseh at uh, to Tecumseh as the Wellington of the Indians. Which, keep in mind, what's the what's the battle going on over? Uh, who's the guy leading the yeah, British well, troops against the, Napoleon? The, the,
2: the guy, the, the the main man in charge of the British army is uh, Wellington, and eventually he would uh, defeat Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo. That was uh, Wellington's big big claim to fame. But he's he's the to head. To call honcho. a native that yeah, is pretty big, right? Yeah. To say that he's that Tecumseh is on the same level as uh, Wellington, uh, that's a lot. That's saying a lot from a British officer. And all these negotiations that Brock and, and Tecumseh had, this was Brock really just putting it up with Brock. He had no um, authority from the Crown or anything to make these deals with the Indians, but these were promises that, you know, two guys are, are making a, kind of like a handshake deal type that's of thing, you know, <laughs> that... Uh, Nothing's written on paper, but that was the uh,
0: the intention. There was honor between the two guys. As right. far as they can tell, Brock never negotiated in bad faith. Right, That is something worth noting here. Did Tecumseh be like, Wellington, you mean like steak? Because <laughs> he
1: probably didn't know about what was going on the other side unless they had like relayed that information, right? No, he, he was, An
0: interesting point, by the way, that he's making about the delay of information. So we just mentioned that it was how many months between... You know, the two Seven formal declarations dead. of war. Right. And then also keep in mind that there's going to be, there's a lot of humorous shit on the back end of this war. <laughs> right, right. That uh, communication drag uh, or
2: delay was uh, pretty key uh, a little later on in the war. Now, too. if you
0: called Wellington, if you were like, man, you really are just like the Tecumseh, the British, he'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <It's a laughs> right. couple what? Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, now on October 13th, 1812, things are looking up for the British here. Uh, Brock leads this, uh, his troops. Again, this is mostly um, Canadian troops here. This is not uh, not the big standing army. The major British forces are being used to fight Napoleon.
2: Right, okay? right. I so, mean, the Canadians, the British uh, in Canada, are not getting a whole lot of support from the mother country because they're too busy fighting the French over in Europe. So it's pretty much the homegrown forces and a small um, British army Army forces being led by Brock, that this, But the Americans now try to invade Canada again, uh, and um, the British. Hilarity R- ensues. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but uh, the British have another big victory at, at uh, a place called Queenstown Heights, that um, the Americans cross over um, the river coming into into Canada, and. Um, they're repulsed big time. And what was interesting at Queenstown Heights, again, you got a lot of these American militia forces and things aren't going real well for the for the United States. And this, a, this is
0: one of the funniest things we found out a lot about of the whole thing.
2: The regular army forces, the guys in the regular US army go across the river and start to attack the um the British forces in Canada. So they're on Canadian soil. The militia are supposed to come up in in support behind them crossing over the river. The militia come up to the river and say, oh, wait a minute. Over there on that other side, that's Canada. That's an invasion. That's a foreign country. I didn't sign up to invade any
0: foreign country. Oh, well, this violates my contract, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We're not going. our know, company policy.
2: Yeah, we're not going. So, hey, good luck to you guys in the regular army. But we militia, we're, we're going to hang here in the United States. Uh, good luck to you. And it was a, a a total shit show that the the um, the British are um, bombarding the American regulars on the shore beneath Queenstown Heights, and are just getting their asses kicked
0: big time. Well, and uh, a very heroic move too. Uh, Sir Isaac Brock is actually uh, he's going to ride off on his own in order to lead his men in a counterattack at Queenstown Heights. Right? Um, he's actually going to be wearing a gift given to him by Tecumseh. Tecumseh gave him a, a very honorary gift of a, what's been considered a gaudy red sash, right? So heroic, you look good in battle, your own men can follow you, that kind of a thing. But you know who else can notice you when you're dressed like that? The enemy. <laughs> yeah. and what do we say about those American boys? Maybe they're not the sharpest um, you know, military uh, minds. Maybe they're not really all that well trained, but these boys can shoot. And uh, Brock uh, is actually taken down by a rifleman, uh, shoots him in the chest, killing him instantly during his charge. So now the big hero of Upper Canada, the guy who's pulled off, again, winning Fort Detroit, winning all these other battles, he is a huge hero in uh, back in Britain. They can't believe that, you know, his hometown has a huge monument made to him at the family church, everything like that. But now, boom, takes a shot to the chest, killed instantly. The American uh, rifleman's name has been disputed, but I believe, if we look closely, it's Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. <laughs> No. <laughs> in a previous life. <laughs> yeah, maybe we were wrong on that one here. But uh, unfortunately now, Brock is dead here, and uh, the Americans, are they're enjoying some advantages, but they really didn't get much right in the early part of the war here. Not having to face Brock in battle again, that's going to be worth its weight in gold. How do you not do that? Uh, now, holding Detroit, and with the Americans being laughed at, uh, while anti-war opinions continue to grow within their own ranks, because now D.C. is fighting a lot, too, back and forth. you got the... Uh, Uh, federalists going back and forth.
2: It's a a split. I mean, even to declare war was almost evenly split between the the Warhawks and the the guys who did not want to go to war. So, I mean, that was a a huge... Difference of opinion within within Congress.
0: It, it only came down to a matter of a few votes whether we were going to war to begin with. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and if the president wasn't petitioning so hard, maybe they would, well, there's going to be blowback if we don't go with it. Right,
2: exactly. Mm-hmm. And it, and it really came down to party lines um, as to whether
0: we were going to go to war or not. Politics so. today are just so divided. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. But again they don't have to face um uh down with brock again that's going to be the one huge advantage here okay because yeah and that was a, didn't have heroes at this point that was a huge
2: moral defeat um to have him killed in battle because he was really big time hero status uh, throughout uh, the canadian forces and the uh, the native americans as well um but you know this is a good guy he's a great leader and everything else he was just that charismatic so mom um, uh yeah, to have him die in battle, that was like a, a, the the air came out of the air balloon big
0: time. But you still got this wild Native American leading this crazy group of warriors known as Tecumseh. So who can you get to try to deal with um, this guy over here? And uh, again, uh, William Henry Harrison comes back up. Where do you go to? All right, he, It's not pretty, but he gets some results. That seems to be the early military as we've covered. So... Um, <laughs> Having been a part of the forces that defeated a young and unknown Tecumseh at the Battle of Fallen Timbers, and having defeated and taken a stronghold from his followers and his own brother at Tippecanoe, it seems like maybe this future president is the guy that seems to have Tecumseh's number. So, by the Battle of uh, Thames or Thames in 1813, Harrison had already retaken Detroit and was leading an army with revenge on its mind. The vengeance would be directed at British General Henry Proctor, who had become known as the butcher for the massacring and burning alive of 550 Americans that had been promised safety in their surrender? That was the Raisin, correct, Ed?
2: Uh Yeah, that was the the the, uh, the battle of the Raisins. That um, it was a, a battle that was fought, and there was uh, a great numbers of uh, American soldiers that uh, were actually surrendered um, to the British, and the British then left the battle site. And left the Native Americans in charge of the of the uh, the prisoners, and they then uh, do
0: what you will with them. We use every part of the animal. <laughs> that's right.
2: They they were butchered. Um, so the River Raisin massacre was really attributed to uh, Proctor, because he was the guy that was in charge, and he was the guy that left the Native Americans. Um, in charge of these these prisoners of war yeah, he well, took kid with
1: all these
0: scalps right it's, yeah essentially
2: well, yes right uh, and
0: burned alive a lot of the, the bodies too yeah. it was it's not a pretty sight oh, no
2: <laughs> yeah um but at the same time the native americans had some pretty uh, atrocious uh, situations placed upon them with burning prophetstown and a lot of the other indian villages whether they were you know, friendly or not friendly, whatever, the idea was, you know, the development of that whole the only good Indian is a dead Indian was uh, was uh, pretty big t- even back then, even before that phrase phraseology came out with the American West. Going to use a word, going to use a word. Tension. Tension, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, things were tense and a lot of people were looking for revenge on both sides. and um, The Native Americans extracted their revenge at the river raisin massacre for some atrocities that were inflicted upon them
0: previous but now proctor has this um name of the butcher on him so that's like a thing that if you want to give a game of thrones thing he's uh you know the, the butcher proctor and uh he's now with tecumseh and they're attempting to hold detroit september 18th 1813 the British left Detroit on their own accord. They are, I guarantee you, are not the last people that just left Detroit and said, fuck this. Um, (laughs) I'm paying how much for
1: this? (laughs) Yeah, there's another city down the road. Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, Tecumseh is pleading with Proctor for them to have at least an armed retreat to protect their ranks, and he was denied. So now Proctor and Tecumseh are not working together like Brock and Tecumseh were. Right. So there's a little bit of tension here. Now it's, you know, the natives, can we really trust this guy? We had a good deal going here with uh, Brock, and Brock's gone now. Harrison's able to retake Detroit, leaves a thousand men to hold it, and then takes his remaining 3,500 men to pursue the Butcher and the Shawnee legend. So the Battle of Thames takes place on October 5th, 1813. So this is all within about less than a month, a couple of weeks span here. Um, The Americans under Harrison, uh, they pretty much have a, I believe they're outnumbering the British three to one. So the American force is three times bigger than the native and British force here. And once again, uh, Tecumseh and his fiery band of warriors are gonna make things difficult for the Americans. We have the advantage all the time in this war, and I say we, because I'm an American, but whatever. Um, There seems to be an advantage at all times that we're never really able to take advantage of. (laughs) Never
1: really grasp it firmly, you know what I mean? It It gets ugly.
0: just kind of slips through our fingers each and every time but this was cool this is one of my favorite resources we found in doing the research for the show uh and keep in mind we are a podcast that has been called mostly right so that's (laughs) 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 so this one was great this was a tactical review of the battle i was able to find online so here's the cliff notes of that uh harrison would split his cavalry in two so he had cavalry, and he also had artillery and then he had uh infantry units so one group is going to charge at the British, and they successfully acquire the one of the only British cannons in the field and watch as the Brits scatter. So now you've taken away the artillery from the British side. So far, that's working pretty good. Proctor's attempting to rally the British, uh, but he's unable to. He's really not considered a charismatic leader. He's got a little bit... It, what Hull is to the Americans, the guy who surrendered Detroit without firing a shot, I get the vibe that Proctor is to the British in this sense. Yeah, he's, he's definitely... The, their own men don't like them kind of a thing.
2: A little timid and not like, not well-liked. Yeah,
1: this if, guy's a dick. If only his name was the proctologist, because there's a little bit of tension. I'm uncomfortable That's all right. the
2: time. You might feel a pinch.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> his uh, arms are on my shoulders. I don't get
0: it. Uh, Kahuna just stood up somewhere and goes, California it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's working on the one side here, right? Uh, why wouldn't it work with uh, the other group, which is made up of Tecumseh and his Confederacy of the Natives? So that you have the one part of the cavalry that successfully t- uh, routed the British in the field, if you will, there, got them retreating, took the cannon. Now, uh, they wind up going ahead and doing the same thing, but against Tecumseh and his boys. The issue here is that partly due to many of them being out of ammunitions, you know, they, they don't have, they're not able to have a pitched battle, if you will, against them. Not that the Natives were big on that in the first place. Uh, and then partly because of their skill with hand-to-hand combat. And then in addition, they're enraged at the dishonor. Uh, they're sitting there like, we're f- well, this is our big fight right now. We're, right. Gonna, we're, we're, we're doing this. Then you look over and your entire neighbors are just <laughs> right. scattered. The, the Brits, are, the Brits are
2: doing the skedaddle. Meanwhile, the, the Native Americans are, are, are holding their part of the line um, down to the hand-to-hand combat because they're running Ferocious of and everything. So. It's a, a definitely a pitched battle that uh, they made it a, a very positive accounting for themselves at, at that battle. But uh, and meanwhile, you're watching the rest of your supposed uh, allies uh, doing the
0: skedaddle. Well, the uh, again, the natives are fighting like I mean, just bats out of hell. They're they're put and they're going against cavalry too. So it's not even I mean, it's it's bloody. Uh, it has um, a lot of brave heart imagery to it. There's this mm-hmm. is. This is a fight, man. And they're doing really well for themselves, the Native Americans, until news uh, arrives to them on the field that they find out that, much like Sir Isaac Brock, Tecumseh has now been killed, leading his own men into battle. Right. So Tecumseh gets dropped. Um, so he that's has a red sash on. It's <laughs> a bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wait. <laughs> Every time. uh, Don't don't wear a red sash (laughs) in the battle. (laughs) Unlucky (laughs) sash. (laughs) Give it to Proctor. Give it to Proctor. He might use it. (laughs) Hey, Proctor, we got this (laughs) gift for you. (laughs) Um, It's difficult to say who fired the killing shot, but some believe that it was the officer that was leading the cavalry, which is interesting because that cavalry unit is the unit that Tecumseh and his men had pretty much routed before the infantry reinforcements showed up and won the day so that cavalry unit was getting the shit kicked out of it by the Shawnee and the other tribes I should say let's be more inclusive um (laughs) but uh it it pretty much Tecumseh and the boys were handling business until the infantry showed up as reinforcements and they think that the cavalry officer is the one who may have fired the shot that killed Tecumseh in kind of a desperate move here so it's uh again uh, that cavalry officer's name teddy roosevelt (laughs) (laughs) that's right forerunner to uh (laughs) forerunner to uh san juan hill (laughs) yeah (laughs) just kidding teddy roosevelt is not involved in this story yet i mean he writes about it but um anyway we're going to start to wrap this one because like we said we have to um we have to do this one in in two parts in order to get everything out for you guys here and again chris it's so awesome of you to come in and work with us last minute on this and thank you to the listeners for the patience you guys are having here with us but i do want to mention uh, one couple of things here uh, as we're wrapping up is that uh, a strategic defeat was in play all right so now the americans have a victory on their hands here so once again william henry harrison it, he had to have he had to have uh, pretty much the pro bowl team to take out uh, the, right. you know, the third stringers but the, they gave him a hell of a run for it um now proctor escapes this battle and leaves another officer to handle the surrender because he knew he goes they're calling me the butcher man there's no way i'm getting out of here alive So he escapes, winds up back in British territories, where, while safer than he would have been with his would-be captives, a low opinion of him persisted. He would, uh, of course, be court-martialed. And then, uh, because this is what happened, he got so many of his men captured in a foreign country. There's accusations of war crimes against him. There's some cowardice. Why why didn't you listen to Come See Here? How did we lose Detroit? Uh, So anyway, we're just going to dock you six months' pay.
2: That's it. Yeah, never mind all the guys that were killed under your command, but killed or kept, most of them were captured. They said yeah. too.
0: That's the saddest part is that uh, now you got these poor guys that are like, you know, oh, oh shit! Now I'm a prisoner in a foreign country. Yeah.
1: Well, now you're American.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Welcome. They, they could have just pressed them the service. <laughs> that would have been the play. That's a great point. Welcome Chris. to America. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> and again, um, it's, it's wild to go on the, the road like that, but uh, the victory for William Henry Harrison was obvious. Tecumseh is dead. Detroit has been taken back. The British are on the run. The Indian Confederacy is in shambles. It really never comes back. Tecumseh was the high-water mark for them, um, even when you talk about Sitting Bull and other tribes. like it, that's, that's like dealing with guerrilla commandos out west the plains indians are a total different thing this was the last real shot that the natives had of pushing it back had to come lived who the hell knows you might have had a native american state which essentially we could just all go to and gamble now that's right you know that's <laughs> proctor and gamble
2: <laughs> that Whoa. one hurt me Whoa. Whoa. wow but um, i've been to oklahoma don't worry <laughs>
0: So, uh, it's, uh, things are getting interesting over here. Uh, things are starting to, to look up a little bit. It seems all it would take would be a little bit more of that marching that old Jefferson was talking about. Uh, and we might have Canada, because there's nothing else in Harrison's way with all of his men, except Harrison doesn't quite finish the job. He's unable to head further north due to his men's enlistments about to be up, because these, go, these are enlisted men here. Mm. So, you're about to lose your militia guys, and then some of your regulars are about to have their time up. So... Between that and also the fear of then being undersupplied, like earlier efforts, like St. Clair's defeat, um, they're getting a little bit nervous about that. They say, you know what, we'll come back once we're ready. We'll get a new group together. Everything's going to be good to go. We'll make sure we're well supplied. I mean, after all, we've already burned York to the ground. That's right. We burned Toronto. People forget that. Do you want to talk about that for a second?
2: No, it was just that um, they, they marched into what was then known as York, and uh, burnt all the government buildings within York. Uh, York later became known as Toronto. So um, that's going to play big time uh, on a on a revenge factor with the with the British. There. Yeah,
0: nobody burns Toronto except if the Maple Leafs win the Cup. <laughs> so <laughs> no one ever burns Toronto. <laughs> Brutal but true. Yeah, big. So it becomes a revenge tour, if you will, and it's a revenge tale in two parts. And like I said. So if the early part of the war here is the Americans trying to play a road game, it's them just getting the shit kicked out of them, the hometown crowds, you know, not having it. They're playing a factor, and then now there's you know a couple other things that are about to happen here. Like we said, Harrison, uh, you know, he's got his victory. He hasn't decided to pursue it. And again, we've we've burned Toronto. We've we've beaten them now. Tecumseh's dead. All these guys are gone here. Uh, there's no way the British are ever going to come down to D.C. and get us back for this, right? <laughs> There's no way Baltimore going to get invaded. There's no way our sovereignty is going to – there's no way that we're going to go back under British rule, Dad, right? Uh,
2: don't count on it. But there was many – many people were still very much anti-war because of all the different things that were going on, especially up in, in New England, which is also going to come into play in the latter half of uh, the War of 1812.
0: Well, again, those uh, aforementioned New England colonies that were having a good time trading – they're starting to, you know, wonder, well, hey, maybe, what if, this is a fun th- thought. It's just a fun thought. The states that seceded and broke the union, what do we always think they are? The southern states, right? Yeah. At the civil wars, because slavery is the big issue here. Well, the big issue of commerce actually had some of the New England colonies sitting there and saying, really states, I, should, I shouldn't call In them The colonies. states, right. New England states are now saying, well, hey, Canada, what if we, what if we kind of just made a deal – where we kind of just joined you guys and said fuck it to all these guys that are dragging us down so that's an interesting we'll get into that a little bit more in the second uh, half of this one but um they didn't count on many things with the americans uh but this one thing must have certainly caught them by surprise they had this advantage going on because the british uh had another war going on potentially the biggest war in britain's history up to that time napoleon is I mean, when the Pope is handing you your crown and True. then you grab the crown from him and put it on yourself because I'm not playing that Charles Martel shit, Charlemagne nonsense, <laughs> right? That's one of the most badass moves in history, by the way. You can say what you want about Napoleon. But for you to sit there and say, I'm crowning myself, hoofah. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's not really, not panning out right now. Yeah. Man, Napoleon fucks. It's a- <laughs> well, it's getting interesting because uh, that has all of the British attention. Except all of a sudden... They start scoring a couple of victories against Napoleon's army here. The British Navy's really starting to showcase its, I mean, it's the best navy in the world. And maybe Napoleon isn't this invincible military dictator emperor from God that they thought he'd be. And now, the British are able to turn more attention to handling their former colonies. Only this time, they're going to play on the colonies turf. (laughs) So, we will continue the rest in part two. We've still got Fort McHenry, the burning of D.C., Winfield Scott, a little fellow named Andrew Jackson, and the importance of timely communications to <laughs> Right. Is there anything you want to say on the way out? On no, this I think
2: that's uh, tune in, tune in uh, for the next chapter here, for the that's next <laughs> half of the, of the War of 1812. So a war that was named 1812 was a little more than just one year in the timeline. We and,
0: think of ourselves as smarter than the average uh, history student, not smarter than the average history professor, because we've met some really smart people talking on the show um and it means a lot to us all the listeners we have too it's been very fun to watch this thing grow and again if you're on the patreon do me a favor and make sure that your address is on the patreon and I I don't know if you have to have that when you sign up for it but find a way for me to get your address so that I can mail you guys some stuff because we got some shit made okay and we also have something again coming down the road we won't announce it yet until my father uh, the pragmatist Has it in hand, but we did want to take care of you guys. Um,
2: Don't make promises that you can't keep.
0: That's well, all I'm saying. Well, that's what I was going to say. How funny is it that we're like, yeah, we could do the War of 1812. I that's a pretty easy war, right? You know, burn DC, Francis yeah. Scott Key, Rockets Red Glare. We got this shit. And then we started reading about it. And it's like, right, how many years before this? Mm. But we, so again, we're sorry to you guys that we didn't get it all done here. The second episode will be out. I would like to say. Don't make
2: promises that you can't hang on, keep. Hang
0: on, let's think then. Let's think. <laughs> I soon. guarantee you. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> we'll get back By to this By the soon. end of the year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um the but year do, eighteen twelve. That's <laughs> I do have some uh uh egg on my face on this one here for having to break this one up into two parts, but you know what guys? I didn't want to skip over any information. You and me found so much good shit that we want to talk about. We actually learned on this one. And I think I think Chris learned on this one too, Dad. And we got some learning. You know, it's going to be hilarious because uh, just due to scheduling errors, we'll have Kahuna next time. And Kahuna's like, wait, man, what? we got <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <We> to gotta- <laughs> <gotta> rewind everything. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, much love to Mike and Ming at A Shared Universe. Uh, guys, thank you so much for reporting the show. Uh, you can follow us, if you're not already, uh, at American Loser Podcast over on Instagram. The American Loser Facebook page is up. Uh, my Facebook page is up for now. I think I made a controversial joke today, so I might get it taken down uh, <laughs> over on Facebook. That's good old KP Burke. And also, uh, by the way, our friend Chris, very talented musician in a great band. you want to plug the band real quick? Oh, bud? thank you. Thank
1: you. Oh, man. I'm the guitarist for a, a band called Serious Matters out of Monmouth County, New Jersey. Uh, we would play, but there's obviously stuff going on that we restricts us from pre- playing anywhere. Yep. But we just released an album about four months ago, and you should definitely go check it out on any place you can stream.
0: That's awesome, man. And I've listened to the band too, by the way. You guys are solid. So I respect that. And, uh, you know, also I would say I plug stand up dates right now, but it's over, guys. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> yeah. The industry's disappeared. But uh, thank you so much, losers. Thank Dad. Thank you for uh, the research you did on this. No, no, boy. thank you. Oh, get out of here! You jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wrap us up for that one. And uh, guys, thank you so much. That was part one of the War of 1812: American Loser.